All right, so we are here with Mike Schulte or Mikey Schulte. It's and, Mike. Uh, My mom calls me Mikey. It's cool. <laughs> okay. Well, you're not in trouble, so I'll call you Mike. Yeah, so this is going to be kind of a little bit of a unique Big Fat Five. But before we get into all the reasons of why we're here, talk a little bit about who you are, how we connected via this, and uh, floor is yours. Yeah, man, I'm kind of, my story, I think, is pretty similar to a lot of people in the fact of growing up, learning how to play an instrument, drums being my main instrument, going through that whole life experience of learning your craft, starting bands, failing at bands, Mm -hmm. getting better at bands, uh, finally finding your main band, and then going on tour and giving it a shot and recording albums, and then so so i was in a band that the main band i was in back in the day when i was in college was called brian jones we did a lot more um hardcore type stuff in the early 2000s we we gave it a shot man like we 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 recorded three full-length albums we hit tours coast to coast and you know you you eventually get to this point in life where you're 25 26 27 you're out of college bills have now piled up uh, college, college debt has piled up mom and dad being like, okay, that was fun and all, but when are you going to be an adult? Mm -hmm. And that happened to me pretty hard, man. That band broke up. I distinctly remember saying I'm an adult. Now these drums go into a closet and maybe my future kid will have them someday. Mm -hmm. And and dude, I stopped playing drums. I think you had a moment like that too, didn't you? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what was really crazy is I joined corporate America and I met a guy there who's like, hey, man, I hear you. Uh, I hear you used to play drums. I said, yeah, you know, that was old. That was old me. He says, how, how do you feel about getting together and doing a little jamming? I said, man, that actually be kind of fun, you know, get, get away from work a little bit. And then he goes, well, it'd be a cover band. And I said, bro, what? Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I ain't selling out to no cover band to play Sweet Home Alabama. And he goes, well, you know, but it'd still be a lot of fun. And we'd make like a hundred bucks a piece. And I, for the first time in my life, I'm like, wait, we make money. This is a a weird concept. So me and this guy got together, I don't know, three, four years worth of just playing some fun gigs, getting out. He, he completely renewed my love for playing drums and I owe him everything because that moment brought me back into this new mindset of drumming. And uh, since then, I had joined a band called the Pork Tornadoes, which somehow has developed some weird cult uh, cover band regional Midwest status where we've got millions and millions of views, views on YouTube. We play these huge shows in front of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 fans just playing cover songs. And and it's been this crazy wild ride to think that that I didn't picture my life let alone, I, I always wanted to be a rock star. Everybody wanted it. I thought I was going to be the next like Corn or Pearl Jam, you know, and yeah. to realize that that's really freaking hard to do. And then to realize that all of my dreams kind of came true from joining a cover band. All the stuff I ever wanted as a drummer has happened. And it's been a wild ride, man. And I, I think the world has changed quite a bit from old me going, oh, cover bands. I mean, think about all these tribute bands out there that are just blowing up and playing these huge shows and i think people want to hear the songs that they love and they want to hear it done well and and this band i'm in the pork tornadoes uh you know we take like uh girl pop songs and kind of make them into more of rock versions so we're playing taylor swift and stuff like that and i I freaking love it i love it and and what's been really cool about it is i i get my fix of of the rock star life and, and the big shows and playing in front of big led walls but then it also allowed me to go back into original music. And I, I, I have a project called Dope Walker. 
with some local Iowa legends, which is where I'm from. Uh, Aaron and Jeff from the Plastic Constellations, uh, Joel of Ten Grand, the Vita Blue, William Elliot Whitmore, folk string, singer extraordinaire. Uh, we we recorded a full length, released it, and we just recorded a second one. I still get that that amazing feeling of being in a, an original project and and writing and creating. That will never go away. Uh, but but then I can also have that that other feeling of like cool <laughs> this is awesome you know to, to walk in, in front of all these people on a huge stage you know well and then so if people can't tell already you have an amazing podcast voice you're a great speaker so the next maybe i don't want to say chapter because they they coincide but like what talk a little bit about your uh, your podcast the, the bad part about getting back into music and making that a full-time career was that covid happened and mm-hmm. uh, and all of a sudden creativity has gone away for the most part. Like I, I I never did anything at home. I never had like a home computer set up. I just went on the road and played shows. And now we're sitting at home and I'm thinking, I really want to want to, I had a podcast, which is actually how we met. It was called mm-hmm. the Iowa music podcast, which I interviewed you it was an awesome interview, trying to, trying to tell our local community about your story and stuff. And, and so I wanted something more global, right? You know, like the Iowa music podcast was you had to be an Iowa musician. Uh, and we have a pork tornadoes podcast. You have to know who we are. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting here in COVID going, what do I, what's, what's a global thing? And, and nostalgia is such a global phenomenon and movies. Everyone loves movies. And I, I came up with this idea to start a podcast that was just talking about classic movies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands, and talking about the difference between when you saw it, and that nostalgic feeling of, oh man, that movie was so great. And then watching it nowadays and, and wondering if it actually is as good as you remember it. <laughs> and so we started, we started recording. It's called the confused breakfast. We started recording in mid 2020, moderate success. You know, our moms are listening. We're getting 50 downloads and stuff and it's great. Hey, yeah. Filling the creative need that I need. I need this. I have avoided my life. It's something creative, but then I started a TikTok and TikTok went nuts in the algorithm. And we had these million view videos of our podcast. Uh, a man named Burt Kreischer, famous comedian. If you've ever heard of him, he's the machine, takes his shirt off. I was just <laughs> listening to him on Rick Glassman's podcast, actually, yesterday. I'm not kidding. He he found us on TikTok somehow and shouted us out on Two Bears, One Cave. Just said, oh, I, there's this really cool podcast that drove us like way up all of a sudden, like all these people coming out of nowhere. Then Bert invited us to L.A. to be a guest on Bertcast. We went out and did that. I had no idea. That's awesome. Dude, this is a lesson. This is you. This is your philosophy. It's the say yes, right? He goes, mm-hmm. if you're ever in L.A., come do a podcast. I'm like, I'm always in L.A., which I never am in L.A. You just say yes to that, right? Yeah. Then after that, we we got asked to be the only people who have ever toured Mikey's house from the Goonies in the last 10 years. So we said, yes, we flew out there. We made a YouTube video about that. Then uh, Bert Kreischer was in our town, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to do a show. He did a Caddyshack episode with us on our podcast. So it's been a wild ride, man. We hit number one a couple months ago in in movie film uh, review podcast in the U.S. And it's just been like... It's just been so fun to know that like the what you're doing is is touching people all over the place and and you know we get a lot of hate too like how could you hate Super Mario Brothers it was such a good movie it's like no it wasn't the 1993 I haven't movie seen it oh that one yeah 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 sorry it sorry. was terrible and <laughs> and we get a lot of people that just say it's it's like listening to you and your buddies talk about movies and and it's been a blast man so that's why I reached out to you I said it'd be a really cool way well first of all 
the three of us on the podcast are musicians. So we always get into very awesome conversations about the, the soundtracks of the movie. And, and if there are particular movies, like a few on my list where they are, there's a musicians in the, in the movie, like uh, Wayne's world, Cassandra's mm-hmm. playing bass, dude, she's not playing the bass in that. And so we will make fun of how like, no, she, they, she didn't even try to learn how to play the bass in that. But, and it always seems like whenever there's a band playing somewhere, there's not a main PA, there's no PA speakers anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it just, so we make fun of stuff like that. But, um, I said, what if, since there is such a great correlation between music and movies and musicians and actors, like I thought it'd be really fun to do a top five uh, kind of movies about music list between you. I, I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I knew three of my five right away. Right away. So, well, I, you said that before you usually get into your top fives, you do go through an honorable mention section. So do you want to start off with a few of yours that maybe didn't make the cut? Well, first, let's define it, right? Movies about music. I, I think that that has just some sort of component of a, of a musician or a band or, or some, you know, there, there's great movies with great soundtracks. But like if it doesn't have like a band member of sorts in the movie, I'm kind of not counting it on this. But there's a few. I, I love Walk the Line, mm-hmm. the, the Joaquin Phoenix. I, I'm, I've been a huge Johnny Cash fan all my life. I thought that was a fantastic kind of biopic. Um you can't leave out Eminem and Eight Mile. I think Eight Mile is one of the coolest like stories about um, starting from nothing and following your passions. Uh, Wayne's World, like I said, Singles. Uh, do you remember the, the movie Singles? Uh, so the- that was on the list. I had I've never actually seen that, and I'm from Seattle, and it's a what? travesty. I know, I know. We should almost stop the podcast right now, but I no, I've never seen that movie. By the way, I'm coming at this. I'm going to describe the movie's plotline assuming people have never heard some of these movies, which I'm assuming a lot of them already have, but yes. what is, what is the plot of, of singles? Singles is like, um, it's, it's, it's a kind of a hangout movie, uh, in the nineties set when grunge was taken over. It's mm. these different people and their relationships and their day to day. But there's, uh, uh, Matt, Matt, uh, Dylan, he plays, he plays like the lead singer of a band that's trying to make it in Seattle. And, uh, okay. Pearl, members of Pearl jam are his backing band. Like Eddie Vedder's the drummer, in his band that is awesome it's a really it's not fully about being in a band so i kind of left it off Mm -hmm. um the wedding singer i think if you've ever played in a band that's ever played weddings before like that is a must watch and the last two i had have you ever seen searching for sugar man no and that's also an embarrassment for me to say i haven't seen that because i know how huge and impactful that movie was Dude, that if, if you don't know that movie, it's basically true. It's true story documentary about this guy who I think he lived in Detroit. He, he never quite made it. He was going to be the next big thing. And he recorded these albums and then quit music and just went to work at a normal job. And 30 years later, someone finds out that he is gigantic in like South Africa. He, his song became like a, a rally cry for the people. And he didn't know. He had no clue. And, and it's this journey of getting him to go there to like see the power of his music and what it did. And he thought it did nothing. Like he thought he was a failure and oh, it's, it's an unbelievable documentary. And last one, if you've never seen uh, metal Lords, that recent Netflix movie, no, it's a movie about some high school kids, like starting a metal band, dude. It's, it's like, it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing. Okay. Okay. My list isn't as extensive of honorable mentions, but the first one I will say, speaking of walk the line, it's kind of a goofy movie, but walk hard <laughs> is an actual, by the way, it's a spoof, it's a spoof movie, kind of like what airplane was to airport of what 
walk hard is to walk the line. So it's kind of a fictitious version of a, of a Johnny Cash kind of character. But it also kind of goes through all the, it kind of alludes to Elvis's story, Ray Charles's story, all these kind of Americana uh, figures uh, grew up from, you know, poverty and then became this, this entity. But it's actually a really good movie. I think it's, and uh, John C. Riley plays the Johnny Cash character. And it's, it's so, so funny. It's it's good and um, it makes fun of all the tropes in all the perfect ways. There's like the Beatles show up as like a big. It's just one big cartoon of what it is, and I I love that movie, but I couldn't take it seriously. It didn't really impact right. me as a musician, but <laughs> gotta love that. And then I will say, I am not a fan at all of the biopic thing. Right. I absolutely hate it. Um, I don't usually say hate, but I. I really despised um, Bohemian Rhapsody and those kind of movies. I just can't stand how they gloss over all the parts that musicians actually want to dissect. Like, no, let's go down that rabbit hole. That was this two second scene. But the one I will say that I love is The Doors. I thought Val Kilmer did an amazing job as Jim Morrison. And I believe it came out maybe 91. But it was, yeah, it was just. I mean, there's definitely some cheesy parts and things that were kind of, you know, the edges were rounded off. But for the most part, I thought it did a really good job of it being sad and, and very informative of how impactful that band was. But yeah, so those are my two that didn't make it. Um, but if you want to start, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you the reins first, man. So normally, like we'll do top five lists from time to time on the podcast. It's like we just did top five movies from 1999, which is like the one of the best years of film ever. And mm-hmm. we usually go down the list like five, four, three, two, one. But I, okay. I wanted to redo this a little bit. I wanted to put this in order of how it affected me as a musician and, and at that that stage of my life. So I have to talk about the first movie that ever impacted me more than I'll ever know. It was Blues Brothers. Okay. I don't, even, I don't even know if I have to describe that. I mean, it's Dan Aykroyd, uh, John Belushi. It's, I have two statements on Blues Brothers. Number one, this is a musical. Number mm-hmm. two, it's the best musical ever made. But this, everybody needs an origin story. And this is the weirdest origin story I've ever thought of. And so I was 10 years old, have never thought about playing music in my entire life. I'm sitting in the basement and my dad and his brother, my uncle John are watching blues brothers. And I'm just sitting there, a 10 year old kid trying to make conversation. They're driving through the mall, the police chase a uh, guy crashes into a, a window and a drum set like falls out and crashes on the floor. And I just make this comment. I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, that's, that sucks. Uh, that drum set was probably really nice. And my uncle goes, you like drums? Do you want drums? Do you want a drum set? I'll go, I'll go get you a drum set right now. And I'm kind of like, well, what, what? And so we go to his house and he opens up a storage garage in his basement. It has this old drum set and he goes, here you go. Cheers. And looking back right now, I know he was just trying to clean out his basement and just <laughs> didn't want these drums anymore. But hey, this, this random moment in life got me a drum set that I never knew I wanted. And so then I'm like, well, I got this. I guess I should start playing and teaching myself. And that that I owe it all to sitting in that basement and and watching this movie at that moment in time to everything that I've done musically over the last 30 years. I mean, other than that, this story, if you think about the musical performance, you've got James Brown. I'd go to church if James Brown was my pastor singing like that. Shaka Khan was in the choir with James Brown there. John Lee Hooker on the street. Aretha Franklin. I think she's the best uh, musical moment of this entire movie when she's singing in the cafe. Ray Charles. 
Uh, think about this too, Murph and the Magic Tones. All those musicians that actually played with them were some of the best of the best. Um, Steve Steve Cropper on guitar, Donald Duck Dunham bass, Willie Too Big Hall on drums. Those dudes were um, Stax Records session musicians. Oh shit! Okay. So so like, but they were Booker T and the MGs. They basically sat in on Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Bill Withers, Elvis Presley. They were the musicians that played on all that. And just because Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were super famous, they they had their pick to basically be like, dude, do you guys want to start a band with us and actually make a movie and go around? Uh, then you got like Tom Bones Malone, Alan Rubin, Lou Marini. Those were the horn sections from Saturday Night Live, from the band at Saturday Night Live. It's the, the talents off the charts, the, the moments like we've all played a gig like Bob's Country Bunker before. I love this movie and I owe everything that I have musically to it. So it's, it's the number one. It's the first one on my list for sure. All right. I will say for me, um, cause I didn't put it in any particular order, but there is an obvious one that is going to be the number one for me. And that's that thing you do. So it came out in 1996. I thought Guy Patterson, who's played by Tom Everett Scott is, was, will always be the coolest person in the world to me. He plays the drummer in the, uh, in the movie, AKA shades. Cause he always has these really cool wayfarers. Uh, on and yeah if you don't know the story it's it's a it's a pretty simple concept it's just a band from erie pennsylvania and they they're called the wonders it's very kitschy and then it's the trials and tribulations of having a a massive hit very quickly and then how you navigate that whole world but uh yeah, it came out in 96. It was written and directed by Tom Hanks, who also plays this guy named Mr. White, who's their manager. There's so many cool little nuggets about that story. Adam Schlesinger, who is the late Adam Schlesinger, unfortunately passed away recently, wrote the song, That Thing You Do. And he is one of the two main songwriters in the band, Fountains of Wayne, which if people only know Fountains of Wayne from the song, Stacy's Mom, I'm happy to inform you that they are one of the best bands in the world. I think they are some of the best songwriters. Chris Collingwood, Collingwood is the is the other singer in the band and he's the one who actually sings Stacy's Mom, but Adam is one of the main songwriters, one of the best in history. I'll just I know I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent, but they are the the song that thing you do is so good. Everyone knows it, I'm assuming. And go listen to Fountains of Wayne. There's a random fact um that most people don't know. I maybe I've talked about it on Big Fat Five before, but so I'm the drummer in Eve Six, but the original drummer, Tony Faginson, basically the song that becomes a number one hit was kind of a ballad. The lead singer is kind of a type A alpha guy. It was a ballad. And so when Guy Patterson takes over for the injured drummer, he's just going to sub for a few gigs. And on the gig that it's the first one that he's playing, they're playing this gymnasium, and Guy Patterson starts the song way too fast with that iconic boom, ta ta, boom ta, and the guy turns around like, dude, slow it down, but he's like, hey, just go with it, man. And because it's faster, that's why the song kind of becomes right. this big dance hit. But in that scene, they needed a drummer that really looked. I mean, Guy did or a, uh, Tom Everett Scott did learn how to play drums for the movie, but in that scene, they just wanted like a really natural looking drummer to play some rock and so the original drummer tony his dad knew some of the producers blah 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 he was actually asked to for the overhead shots be the drummer in the actual really? scene so yeah so in that movie when you're seeing the gymnasium from the overhead that's actually the original drummer for eve six playing cool. the drums 
But yeah, it's got Liv Tyler in it. It's just, it's such a good movie. It's so lighthearted. Lenny, who's the uh, the second guitarist, the rhythm guitarist. Is that um, Steve Zahn? Steve Zahn, yeah, is just <laughs> so funny. He has so many one-liners in the movie. And again, it's just one of those movies that it's uh, it's just so lighthearted. And it made me want to be in a band because at the end of the day, I won't ruin the movie, but Guy Patterson kind of ends up the movie being the happiest, kind of finding out who he is in his own way. And it just made me realize how much, how cool drums are. And it's not really a farce movie. It's not a spoof movie, but it does kind of allude to all the the 60s, 70s bands. And just the cinematography of it. I love all the Playtone vibes, the mid-century the, the sets, the clothes, it's just the colors. It's just really bright and happy. I always smile when I watch that movie and it's probably that and Ace Ventura are my two favorite <laughs> movies of all time. Like comfort movies, just comfort. like put it on and just watch. Dude, mashed potatoes. Yeah, I love them. Well, and, and to your point of the why you don't like some of those biopics is this this does tackle the, the stuff that we want to know about these real bands like that, how hard it is to be in a band with and like, it's hard enough to be in like a relationship with one person, but now mm-hmm. you're in a relationship with multiple people with multiple personalities, fame, money changes things like it, that. That's one to the layperson that's never been in a band before. That is the hardest part of being in a band. It's not playing the music. It's like managing this relationship, you know? And it's so funny because there's a big scene where they finally hear their song on the radio for the first time. (laughs) And just how different that is to nowadays. Like, I mean, if if you get a song on K-Rock or, you know, a, a very big radio station, that's still a big deal today, but not as big of a deal as it was back then. Now we can just put our stuff on SoundCloud and anyone can listen to it whenever they want. But back then, just realizing how different the music industry is in general. But yeah, just watch the movie. It's amazing. Yeah, man. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... (laughs) I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye
Great pick. Uh, my number two is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I know for surprising people out there being like, wait, what? No, but I think I think this is more of a music movie than we think it is, right? I mean, it's this time travel movie and they're doing this stuff. But the reason I picked this is is the next stage in, in life of, you know, you've got your instrument, you've you now have it, you now know you want to play music. This demonstrates the early stages of everyone's career learning how to play music, being absolutely terrible at your instrument but still going all out making music videos recording demos spray painting your logos on everything like you're more concerned with that stuff than actually learning how to be better at your instrument sometimes and that mm -hmm. is bill and ted like they're they're in their garage as wild stallions and just not good <laughs> and there there's one moment so we did this epic we did a full episode on bill and ted's on confused breakfast we had a great conversation about it because there was this moment, right? So I just had my first daughter. She's 10 months old. I'm realizing I always knew the world was a scary place, but like now it's an even scarier place to me now that I have this little girl. And I've always loved the idea that this movie presents of music, a song, a band uniting the world, right? Like, like it does. They move, they go to the future and there's this song that they wrote that united the world. And I love that sentiment, but it also sucks because I know that it will never happen. Like we, we will never be able to agree on anything. Even if it's the best song ever written, somebody be like, I fucking hate that song. Like, Country sucks, man. You know, like, of course. And it, and it makes me so sad because when they go to the future and they hear their music being played, which by the way, is a song by Robbie Rob. I, I don't know if he's done anything since then. It's called okay. in time. They're in the future world and everybody's doing the air guitar move that's supposedly written by Bill and Ted. That song gives me chills. It, it, the lyrics are like, in time, we'll be dancing in the streets. All right. And like, I don't know, man, it makes me sad, but it it also is such a great music movie. I, I love the sentiment behind that movie. So that's my number two. I'm trying to think, is there a song right now that is unanimously everyone is undeniably a fan of? No, yeah. <laughs> it'll, it, like what, what would that's what would the closest song even be like? What's the most popular song in the world right now? It's maybe like a, I could I don't even know if I can name it right now. WAP. I don't know. Is that already <laughs> a year old? What about Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You? I think even the most hard exterior person can be <laughs> like, yeah, when that drum, when that key change happens. I don't know. I think everyone secretly would love that song. I, I agree. But but then that's the problem. Are you going to admit it? Are you going to join exactly. this cult that's forming that around music? No, you're like, I like what I like, man. No way. <laughs> if it was like an anonymous, like a Kinsey survey, I think I think that would be the number one. <laughs> what song makes you cry alone in your basement? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a corn song to some people. <laughs> it's blind. Um. All right. So to get this one out of the way, I have to say it. This is Spinal Tap. I think the reason why I love that movie so much is because the first time I watched it, I didn't get all the jokes. And I was like, I need to become successful enough to where I get all the jokes. <laughs> and I'm slowly getting there. There's still some that I'm like, I mean, I haven't had any any uh, Stonehenge prop stuff on stage yet. I haven't been in a band where we have those kind of discussions, but uh, hopefully soon. So if you guys don't know... Spinal Tap is a mockumentary. It's essentially about a British rock band that is kind of on their, not not second wind, but they're kind of the downward trajectory of their career. And they go on a US tour and they used to play stadiums. Now they're playing 1500 cap rooms, which is still pretty good. They make it sound like they're these loser bands, but they're actually still playing, you know, uh, theaters. 
but they just aren't the same as they used to be. There's inner turmoil and it's just documenting all these little nuances, kind of the opposite of what I was saying about biopics. They almost hyper-focus on the things that are like, wow, this is so, so niche for a musician to know. And it's weird. I was, I'm always surprised how many musicians don't know this movie or haven't watched it. They've, they've seen, oh, the turn it up to 11 or lick my love pump or all these things, but they've never actually seen the movie. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have it as, as my number two. Um, this is also the same group of people. They added a few later on that did a mighty wind, which was also almost an honorable mention. Also, it was on my list. I didn't say it. I should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's the same crew and they also do best in show, which is not a music movie, but one of my favorite movies about one of the best of, of all time. <laughs> yeah. Stop naming nuts, but so good. And so, but yeah, it just, it, it just takes away all the glamor, even though it's about a glam band and it just made me want to figure out what the hell some of these jokes meant. That came out in 84 and 84. I didn't, I didn't see this till way later in life, but I'm wondering, we were just talking about movies from 99, like I told you, and how the Blair Witch Project was such a big deal in 99 because it was one of the first movies that ever came out that was like found footage, right? Sure. And so I'm wondering if this is Spinal Tap, I'm wondering if people knew that this was like a joke, you know, like I, I think I bet they not. Off pretty damn well that they're like, oh, who yeah. is this band? Don't they perform technically like... Oh, there's albums. They've played shows, hundred percent. And I mean, talk about the soundtrack, <laughs> Big Bottoms, um, yep. uh, Stonehenge, the song Stonehenge. I mean, they're like that's another thing too. I didn't realize how much they were making fun of specific bands in some of these songs, like like Stonehenge. I kind of gathered they're making fun of Yes a lot in some of this stuff. But as I got older, I'm like, oh, they're totally making fun of this specific band. When before I was like, oh, it's just 80s music, you know, just kind of threw it away. But yeah, listen to if I'm, I'm sure it's on Spotify, wherever you guys listen to music, but the songs on the on on the record are actually original songs made for the band. And the people in the band, the actors are actual amazing musicians. It's just such a funny movie. And of course, the drummer, specifically talking about drummers, one of the ongoing gags in the movie is the drummers keep dying in these really crazy <laughs> ways. It's just watch the movie. It's so yeah, good. This is your reminder to go watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, you're, if you've heard of the movie, but haven't seen it, there's the obvious ones that, that people quote, but you're going to realize how many things you're like, Oh my God, that's from this movie. Yeah. It's just full of it. I'll, I'll come back to Spinal Tap on number four. I've got a movie that kind of ties in with that. But my number three is Airheads. Have mm. you ever seen Airheads before? It's been a while, but yes. Dude, okay, so it's it's for those who haven't seen it, it's it's three three a trio band a band called the Lone Rangers in the nineties <laughs> that are trying to make it through. Brent Academy Award winning Brendan Fraser. Adam Sandler is the drummer. Steve Buscemi is the bass player that that was modeled after Rex from Pantera. And this, keep in mind, the first time I saw this, I didn't know who Steve Buscemi was. So I just thought that's who Steve Buscemi was. And then he starts showing up in all these other movies like, oh, that's the guy from Airheads. But and it, yeah. it's about the, the reason this is next in my list is this. You, you, you've learned your instrument. You've you've now formed a band. And this is one of those moments where you think your band is the best band that's ever played. Your song you wrote is the best song ever. And that if it if you could just get that right person to listen to it, you're going to be the next big thing in the world. And that is what this movie does. It shows it shows that world of like 
putting everything you have into a recording and just no one cares. And you're, and so they, they, um, it's not really spoilers. They hold a radio station hostage to Mm -hmm. make them play their song on the air. And (laughs) here's, here's what I think there's two, there's two moments I think that really parlayed the young musician and how important being in a band is to them. First of all, when they're asking them to describe the Lone Rangers, it, that that they're all like butting in on each other. They're trying to describe the sound of their band. And I think St- Steve Buscemi calls it power slop, but with an edge. And then Brandon <laughs> is like, we don't like to limit ourselves to labels. I mean, we've, we've all had that conversation when trying to describe what our band sounds like. Uh, and then there's this moment where Brandon Frazier is talking about this song he wrote and he says, my entire life force is on that tape. That is what he says. And we've all been there where, where that was everything to you. And he, and he describes so perfectly, he goes, you don't know what it's like being on a bill with five other bands playing for 15 minutes in front of those bands and their girlfriends. Like we've been there where you've put so much into this and no one's there to listen to it except for the other bands and their girlfriends. And it, I just, I love what this movie for for that stage of my life and how that describes it so perfectly about man dude we just need somebody to hear us and we're going to make it you know i i love that movie and we just did an episode on that one as well full blown where we di- dissected it scene by scene so it, it was a blast hell yeah dude. i need to rewatch that it's been a while so good all right so okay next one for me is 2019's sound of metal it's essentially about uh a drummer it's in a duo band and he goes deaf. He just has this uh, spontaneous hearing loss, kind of similar to um, a really amazing musician that happened to recently. K Flay had some hearing loss in her right ear. Uh, what happened to K Flay recently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably, I think October she had to cancel the tour and it never oh. came back, um, unfortunately. But uh, she. And what's crazy about that is when one of your ears goes out, it's it, it throws off your equilibrium. You don't realize how much your balance is based off your hearing and, and your how your brain adapts to that. And so it was it was a crazy hard road for her. Um, and so she's not she still has hearing loss in her right. I don't think it's ever going to come back, but she's come back and she's going to be back on tour. So go support K Flay. But that's the more common way is it for just it to go away in one one ear. But his went away in two ears. So, by the way, this movie is the ultimate horror movie for any musician. Completely. Um, and so it actually taught me very quickly that I need to really take more care of my ears because I, I have tinnitus sometimes. And if, I, if it's really quiet out, if I'm going to bed, it's like, you know, I'm like, is that a ringing? Whatever. So I don't like to think about it too much or else I'll have an anxiety attack. But he just it's, it's not so much a movie about music, but it's about a musician going deaf and then kind of accepting his new future and becoming part of the deaf community. And it's a beautiful story. It was Riz Ahmed was nominated for an Academy As Award. It should have been. Exactly. He is amazing. He learned drums for this and it's, it, it's a beautiful movie. I think the title is so stupid. <laughs> I don't like the title <laughs> right. sound of metal. It's so anyway, so I learned about this movie a few years before it came out because if people listening to this podcast, they know I work for Big Fat Snare Drum, and I'm good friends with Guy Lakata, who now works for Zildjian, but was the creator of the Reflex Practice Pad. So Guy was the main teacher for Riz. So Riz in real life is a is a rapper. He's a really awesome musician, has rhythm, but had never played drums before. And so for the movie, he plays a drummer. He's the main character, if I didn't say that. And so he had to learn how to play drums. He wanted to be authentic and not be 
you know, like the girl from Wayne's World where you're like, she's not even playing bass. You want to actually make it look like he's playing drums. And he does execute that does. movie very well. So Guy Licata was the main teacher for him. And he had to do, long story, but he had to do a gig in, in, in Europe. So they had to switch around some of the, the, the scheduling for the movie. So Guy wasn't able to finish off a lot of his lessons for Riz. And so when he went away to Europe for a gig, Chris from Big Fat Snare Drum came in and helped kind of continue teaching him. And so before this movie was even created, I had been hearing from Chris that he was working on this movie with this British rapper, teaching him how to play drums. And Chris was very tight-lipped about it, just like, yeah, it's probably going to be a good movie. Guy's doing a great job. You know, it's about a drummer, blah, blah, blah. Didn't really hear much about it. And then when the movie came out, me and my, me and my girlfriend watched it. And halfway through, we were like, oh, my God, this is an amazing movie. Yeah. And so I had this like tie to it at that point, but there's this one scene where if you haven't seen it, he gets frustrated and you get this kind of establishing shot of, of the forest, but he's in his RV and his studio and his drums are in this RV and you can kind of hear him playing drums from maybe like 40 feet away. And that track of him playing drums is actually Chris from Big Fat Snare Drum recording really? drums. It, yeah. And so it was just cool. I had this kind of kinship with the movie. It's it's just amazing, but it's also a horror movie, and it, it it'll it'll make you want to never go to a show without your ear, earplugs again. Also, now I'm very cognizant of of my in ear monitors. It's like it, I don't have to be just submerged in music. I can just turn it down a little bit and just put it half as loud, and I can still hear the click. And yep. it was it was just a scary movie. I remember for weeks afterwards. <laughs> just waking up and I was like, am I, uh, you know, so it's because it happens so quickly with him. And so it's, it's, it's very scary, but amazing you movie. It perfectly. It's a, it's a horror movie, but it's also, it's like so important to watch. I'm the same way, man. The, the, the day, what, six years ago, we moved to in-ear monitors was one of the best decisions we ever made in our life. Mm -hmm. But even then now I'm like, I keep like turning everything down and just be like, I don't need, I just need a little click and I just need a little bit of that. And like, Man, if you have that age-old question of would you, if you had to have one, would you rather be blind or deaf? And it's like, as a musician, man, thinking about not being able to hear music or play again, like I, I, I want my hearing, and I yeah. think we all agree that that movie really drives it home. Yeah, at the end, he just well, I won't even say it, but yeah. um, watch the movie. It's it's great. Again, it's Academy nominated movie, so so there's that. But there you go. My number four definitely ties into this is Spinal Tap. It's Anvil. The story of Anvil. Have you ever seen the documentary? I've seen parts of it, but I, it was kind of in the background of like a hang. But yeah, dude, this movie, I don't know what it does to me, but I, I, I will watch this like once a year. And it, it's because it's such, it's a documentary about a band actually called Anvil. I think they're Canadian from they're formed in the late 70s and they were credited as pioneering heavy metal music. Like they were right there with everybody. They inspired Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, Metallica, and they were right there but they just never made it. And then all of a sudden they just, they just faded into obscurity. And this 2006 documentary follows them as they're still kicking. Like they're still like, we just got to get that one with that one tour in Europe. This is going to be it. And this next album is going to be it. And it just goes through all the tough times of, of being in a band and touring and the, the, you know, you got this manager that sucks and books terrible shows and then falls in love with the guitar player and they leave together and he leaves the band. You've got bills piling up at home. You've got older musicians now that have kids and wives and 
thinking they're going to make this one last tour and it just never works out. And something beautiful about this story, though, the the main guitar player singer, his name's Lips. Uh, that's his um, uh, nickname or whatever. But Lips, that's awesome. Dude, his passion is contagious of him just being like, we can do this. We can do it. And the friendship between him and the drummer, uh, it really reminds me of American movie. Have you ever seen American movie? It's it's sort of the same thing, but about a filmmaker, mm. uh, a Mark Bore short. It's a it's a documentary. It's just this unbridled passion for the art that you have, and never ever ever giving up. Like this is what I was meant to do. I'm going to keep doing it, even if no one will do it. And they're they're still kicking. They've done 19 studio albums. They are still out touring. Uh, this wow. documentary sort of rose them back into some popularity. I, it's one of my favorite music documentaries of all time. Anvil, the story of Anvil. So it's footage from back in the day. They had enough foresight to think we should document a lot of this stuff. It shows like they were at some, um, they're at some major festival in like the mid eighties and they were, they were like mid, mid level booked, like right before Metallica or something like that. And I mean, they were big. They, they even interviewed like Lars Ulrich and, and a bunch of people from those bands saying, yeah, Anvil was like the reason I wanted to start a band. They were, they were so good and we wanted to write too. And they just, all these bands just went past them and, and, and they just never, never did it. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Have you seen them live? No, I have not. I had a chance to, but I, you know how it is, dude. You're always gigging. I'm sure. always playing somewhere else when a band comes through that I want to see. So I would love, I would love to. I think they're in their like 60s now, and they're just still kicking it, still playing heavy metal. It's it's pretty badass. Hell yeah, dude! All right, so my number four. This is a really obscure one, and so it's called 24 Hour Party People. And it's essentially Steve Coogan, who's a really famous British actor, really funny. He plays, well, I'll, I'm trying to describe the movie. So it is a it is a mockumentary, it breaks the fourth wall story of a guy making a documentary about his life. Yep. And the guy making the story is Steve Coogan playing Tony Wilson, um, who's famous for Factory Records. Um based out of Manchester, England. Uh, Factory Records is the people who basically founded Joy Division, uh, New Order, Happy Mondays, that kind of that kind of the Manchester, the Madchester scene. And he also had this crazy nightclub, which is one of the biggest nightclubs in Britain for a while called the Hacienda. And just how much he stayed to his roots, I, I don't have the actual quote, but it's basically there was never any contracts with any of the, any of the bands. Factory Records said, the bands own all the music and they can famously quote unquote fuck off whenever they want. And at the end of the movie, he's even offered 5 million pounds, which I don't even know how much that would be nowadays. Cause this is in like the late, the early eighties, whatever is offered $5 million for the company. And he's like, literally the company has no assets. We don't own any of our bands music. We don't own anything. Hacienda is like a rave club. So like people just go do drugs there. They don't even buy alcohol. So like the, the club's making no money. There's no reason for you to offer me this money. And all of his business partners are like, what the hell, dude? And he's like, I don't know, man. I just, it's, we're worth nothing. We, but we just, you don't make money, you make history, which is, he's, he's famous for saying that. Unfortunately, the real Tony did die. But the cool thing about this mockumentary documentary is that Tony actually has a cameo in it, the real Tony, and all these insanely important people to that scene have cameos, not as themselves, but in the movie. And so there's all this footage of 
the Sex Pistols and Joy Division and Happy Mondays intertwined with the, the actors. And they do go through Ian Curtis's suicide. They do it in a very aggressive way, which it's that's why I was having trouble at the beginning defining it, because it is a, a funny movie. They kind of it's a caricature of some of the scenes and some of the real life events, but they are exaggerated, obviously. Right. And some of it's very not funny. Some of it's very funny. It's so interesting. And it I think it kind of went out of its way to maintain the vibe of factory records, which is you're just from an outside perspective. I don't know what the hell this is. It makes me feel all the feels I'm uncomfortable, but I'm excited. I'm interested, but I also want to turn it off at points. And it's, it, it came out in 2002 and it's just, it's an amazing movie. I recommend it. And I'm a huge fan of new order. My podcast, Big Fat Five, actually, is the reason I really got into Joy Division and New Order. One of my good friends and one of my favorite drummers, Brian DeLeon, kind of one of his his choices was was Age of Consent on his oh, top yeah. five. And he really got me into Stephen Morris. And it's uh, there's also an amazing podcast basically about the story of this movie. Um, it's called Transmission, and it's about the story of Factory Records and Joy Division becoming New Order. It kind of focuses on that. It's two bands, but it's one band. If people don't know, Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division, committed suicide. And instead of just quitting music altogether, Joy Division decided to get a new singer or have one of the members become the singer, and then they became New Order. But it's essentially the same group of people, minus Ian Curtis. And it's a really interesting little snippet of Manchester, England's history and how they're, they influenced so much. Yep. And uh, it's a great movie, but buckle up because it's not a normal movie. <laughs> That's a deep cut, man. I, I think I've only seen that once or twice and I'm immediately going, I got to go back and watch that. Yeah, it's weird, but really, really cool footage. And Tony Wilson is such an enigma. He started off on this show called, uh, he hosted this culture and music show in Manchester called So It Goes. And so he was a, a television persona. He was also a, a, a TV journalist for Granada, which is this, I'm, I'm kind of butchering his the explanation of this, but it was like a TV program or a TV network over there. And so he was known in the community as being this guy that does everything. Everyone knew him. He enjoyed being hated. He kind of like, it doesn't matter if people hate me as long as they're talking about me. So it, it shows him walking into clubs and people like, wanker and whatever and he just loves it because he's cheesy but he also has yep. good taste in music and he if you want to just go down a rabbit hole of tony wilson unfortunately he did pass away but right. he was he's a god in manchester and such a weird character you're right a lot of people didn't like him the first the, the top trivia on imdb um for this movie says that peter hook of new order described the film as a film about the biggest cunt in manchester played by the second biggest cunt is <laughs> a quote from peter hook about this movie yeah it's it's so interesting and uh if you're a huge fan of new order and joy division it's not really a movie about them but they are a big part in it and uh factory records is also if you want to go down some rabbit holes with some really obscure bands that were really good, but kind of like Anvil didn't make it. Yep. Factory Records has some really good stuff. Great pick, man. Thank you. Uh, my last one, number five, I'm going in order. This, this movie has always felt like the end of a musical journey. Sometimes we need to be reminded that this isn't going to last forever, right? The movie's called Crazy Heart. Uh, I think it came out in uh, 
geez, may, maybe early 2010s, something like that. That sounds about right. Played by uh, Jeff Bridges. He's, he's the main character, a guy named Bad Blake. He's like a fictional country artist that that had all this fame and, and, and was killing it back in the day. But now he's older. And, uh, you know, the fame has washed up. The sales have faded. The crowds are smaller. The younger kids are passing him up. Body, soul is in rough, rough shape. Rough uh, shape, yes. Oh my God! Any, any, like we're all man. I, I just turned forty, and I'm like, I'm again. I, I just had this little baby, but I'm also feeling my age, man. I'm starting to feel like the, the, the best part about being in music is that you can do this forever, but the invincibility of of partying every night and being on the road like that that starts to get harder and harder and harder. And this movie is such a cool cool story to like remind you that right like this you still got time man like plan for the future because <laughs> like the pork tornadoes are maybe not going to be doing this well in 10 years so like maybe <laughs> just plan for that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and it's just such a great I, I watched it again the other night just to prepare and i and i just was enthralled by it again uh jeff bridges is fantastic he does his own singing and playing in the movie oh i didn't know that was him oh my god he does it he does it well um ryan bingham is kind of an up-and-coming uh country guy folk country guy he's in yellowstone he's a character in the movie yellowstone he makes an appearance as a band member his song that he wrote for the movie was the final song uh called the weary kind it's beautiful robert duvall is amazing in it uh maggie gyllenhaal the soundtrack, I grew up on old, old school country. So the soundtrack to me is just like everything that I want country music to be. It's just ultimately the way I wrote it was a cautionary tale to all musicians waking up one day, you're on the downslope. Was it worth it? Can you change these bad habits that you thought were just fun times that have now become a lifestyle? Can you get out of this and can you survive? And Oh man, it's it's just a it's just an awesome movie. If you never clicked on it, just do it. Just click it. It's a great movie. Yeah, that was a good movie. I've only seen that once, and I think it was back in 2010, 11. And yeah, Jeff Bridges is so sad in that movie, but so relatable. You you root for him. He that that is the best part. He's one of my favorite actors ever. Um, he's just he plays this guy so well that you're like that guy's so cool. I know he's not perfect, and I know he's kind of a dick. But he's so cool. I want to. I want to be that guy. You know, he he plays that character so well. Yeah. All right. So my and I'll I'll say yeah. This is probably my my number one. So I will say I'm happy it's in this order. It's Rockstar from 2001. Oh, yes. And so yes, Marky Mark Wahlberg uh, is the main character, and Jennifer Aniston is his love interest. It's uh, if you don't know the movie, it's essentially about a a guy in the mid eighties, Marky Mark, and he is part of this tribute band. And that's why I asked you earlier about cover band versus tribute band. It's a very important part of the movie. Yes. He is in a tribute band to this band called Steel Dragon and not Steel Panther, but Steel <laughs> Dragon, who is this, you know, larger than life. It's the metal band of that time. And he's in a tribute band and he takes it so seriously to the point where he gets kicked out of his tribute band because he's so type a about it it has to be perfect and around that time one of the groupies for his tribute band gives his tape to the actual steel dragon who is pretty immediately in the market for a new lead singer see his tape ask him to come audition it's a the way it all unfolds is is very insane and funny and he ends up being the lead singer of steel dragon and then he has to grapple with 
getting everything he ever wanted and what that means and how that's probably not what he actually wanted and dealing with the uh yeah fun times that become his lifestyle and it is one of those movies that is serious but it's also very fun and again so many cameos uh steven jenkins from third eye blind plays the asshole oh, guy right. yeah he's the guy in the other tribute band that it, he's he's replaced by when his tribute when marky mark's tribute band kicks him out nope. the drummer in steel dragon is actually john bonham's son jason bonham yep so a little tie to me so i grew up in spokane washington and so miles kennedy who's from spokane washington he was in this band called milestone growing up he's like this hometown hero for spokane he's the guy who at the very end of the movie I'll just spoil it for you. It's okay. No. Uh, okay. Well, I won't. At the end of the movie, uh, basically he decides he doesn't want to be this anymore. And so he pulls this kid from the audience that is <laughs> holding the notes out just as long as him when he's holding his notes, whatever, and pulls him on stage and is this guy named Thor. And it's Miles Kennedy, who is an amazing singer. He's also the singer in the band Alter Bridge, which is when Creed broke up and Scott Stapp left. Uh, Miles Kennedy joined the band and they called themselves Alter Bridge. Um, he's also played with Slash. He's just this like iconic ah, kind of uh, singer. It's such a good movie, but I remember, it, I mean, I watched it when it first came out in 2001. So I was 15, 14, 15 and thinking, okay, this is like a real movie about how maybe I need to reestablish what I want out of music and just being in, you know, a band that has fans isn't all it's supposed to be. And it's such a amazingly sad story, but he ends up moving to Seattle, which is, you know, even though I grew up in Spokane, I've, I lived a good half of my childhood in, in Seattle. So it was near, near and dear to my heart, but great soundtrack too. Oh God. And, and to think that, that you could be standing front row at a crowd and that you could sing louder than the band to where the singer hears you and goes, well, Hey, come on, stop singing louder. It's like that. That's my favorite part is when Mark Wahlberg singing from the crowd and, and they hear him from the crowd. It's like, no, you can't come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many parts growing up. There's a lot of sexuality in the movie that, uh, I mean, it's a hard R rating, I think. <laughs> sure. Yes. At 14, I was like, I don't get what this means. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what that means. So, um, Jennifer Aniston kills it. She's will always be one of my, one of my girls next door. She's so good in the movie. And yeah, I guess the soundtrack, which I don't remember exactly what there's a specific band who a lot of the songs were from a band from the eighties. And the guy singing it is from that band who kind of goes you know, Marky Mark is an amazing rapper, but he's not the guy singing in the movie. No. And uh, but he does it pretty well, like to where you're like, is that him? Is yeah, he yeah. This? <laughs> I mean, me and my friends always do the hallelujah, that whole thing <laughs> when he's in the church. His fake British accent so funny because when he joins the band, he goes, he's uh, known as Izzy as opposed to Chris, his name in the movie. And there's so many scenes, like one of the main scenes when he uh, kind of gets in a fight with Stephen Jenkins' character. It's at it's in front of the Forum, which is in L.A. It, there's so many different nuggets about the movie yep. that it's just so good. I think if you're picking two movies from our list that that are like required watching for anyone in a band, it's it's Rockstar and Airheads. Like I think those are the the quintessential movie '90s, 2000 movies about music and being in a band and funny you know like I, I think those are probably the ones that most people have seen on our list i bet yeah 100 i need to go watch blues brothers again it's been so so long for me man 
Dude, it's still that that we we did a full blown episode on that. It's one of my favorite on Confused Breakfast. I mean that that movie is chocked full of unbelievable talent and performances, and and it's it's you know it's bigger than life, and you know. But my, my uncle John actually uh, just passed away a week ago, so like I've been thinking about this so much about that moment and and what he did for my life without even knowing what he did to my life. So it's, it's, it's been fun to kind of revisit that and then talk about it today, man. I, I really appreciate you having me. I thought this was pretty fun, man. Dude, hundred percent, man. And go, going back to blues brothers. I remember as a kid when I watched it and when they're performing, at least in one of the scenes, it has the chain link fence in front of it. Yeah, Bob's People, country bunker. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember I was like, man, what is going on with that spot? I've never had to play behind chain link. Um, all right, man. Well, I'll let you go, but, uh, yeah, I guess in the comments or I recently put my my cell phone number in the show notes for people to call in and say your what are your favorite movies? I guarantee we missed some amazing movies oh, yeah. even though I tried to like really grapple with what was going on. But yeah, let us know your your movies and maybe we'll do this again. But dude, yeah, and, and congrats to you like I you are one of my go-to podcasts that the people you've had on are some of the coolest people uh, that I've idolized and looked up to. And, and the conversations you have with them are so real. I, I love everything you're doing. I love Cannons. I love Eve Six, man. I, I, I'm excited to hopefully see you out in actual person now that we've talked twice in Zoom here. I know, dude. Yeah, we'll be coming. We'll be coming to you soon, I guarantee you. I'm so. sure you will, yeah. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.